Welcome to the Farm Bits Podcast, a product of Nebraska Extension Digital Agriculture. I'm Jackson Stansel. And I'm Samantha Teton. And we come to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture. Through interviews and panels with experts, producers, and innovators from all sectors of digital technology, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. Welcome back to the Farm Bits Podcast. We are continuing to roll through our planting technology series and are very excited about this episode. Planting equipment continues to advance significantly in the modern ag tech landscape. This episode features a company at the forefront of planting technology innovation. Paul Harms, Product Support Manager at Precision Planting, joins this episode of the Farm Bits Podcast to discuss Precision Planting's mission, product platform, and vision for future innovation. We dive into many topics from data to sensors to equipment and how precision planting is doing exactly what their name suggests, enabling precise planting operations. So here's our interview with Paul Harms. I'm super excited to be here. I appreciate you guys reaching out and getting the invite in. Um, I'm, well, my name is Paul Harms, in case you haven't seen that or read that yet, but (laughs) I started with precision planting about 13 years ago and I work in the product support department. So I Grew up on a farm. We had a 2,500 acres of row crop and then 300 head sow operation, which we did farrow yeah. to feeder and farrow to finish. So came from the farm background, spent some time in the seed industry, um, kind of got uh, uh, in the door here on a whim, just on a, on a flyer and have loved the, the role, the task, the people, the culture and the mission. So that's, that's been a blast that I just can't walk away from. Awesome. And where are you from originally? I grew up uh, in central Illinois, right here, about uh, an hour or two north of here. Awesome. Located, Must be close to home. Yeah. And I'm located right at the uh, the home facility here in Tremont, Illinois. Good deal. So since you brought up the uh, mission of precision planting, can you talk a little bit about the company and what kind of role they are fulfilling within the industry? Absolutely. Um, I would say our mission is very similar to the the title of our podcast, uh, the Smarter Every Season podcast. It's our goal is to help growers improve year over year. And we feel it's our role to try and provide education opportunities and solutions to problems that they're seeing. You know, we do that through our Precision Technology Institute, our winter conferences, our field demonstrations. Uh, we provide our solutions in a retrofit fashion and our uh, factory installed through our partnerships there. And it's all about taking advantage of every time we go to put a crop in, trying to put the best crop in and make our operations as secure as possible. That's really cool stuff. And I think the retrofit aspect of things is is a really important asset for farmers. And from an engineering standpoint, I just think it's a really important way to design things. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the great line of technologies that y'all have, including some of those retrofit uh, pieces of equipment that, that you offer to people? Yeah, the retrofit is actually our bread and butter. So we approach problems that we find in the industry first and foremost towards that that retrofit solution. We want to make whatever problems we can solve with a product or a design, we want to make sure that that's applicable to as many people as possible. And there's a much larger portion of the industry that's has an existing implement in their in their shed than there is um, new going out every year. So we don't want to just make it tied to that new. It, it's important for us to be able to continue to add value to that existing implement. Um, you know, our start with that was the Keaton seed firmer. 
which was just an attachment onto a row unit to help see firm the seed down in the soil. And that's our, that's our focus there is finding those solutions. Awesome. So it's, it's really interesting that, you know, kind of your, you know, you're talking about the seed firmer, but those seed firmers have kind of morphed themselves or not necessarily morphed themselves, but you've expanded from that point to doing a whole lot of more high-tech things than just firming seed into the ground. I mean, you've got different, you know, you have your smart firmers out there, flow sense for over force. I mean, we could go on and on. I mean, can you tell us a little bit more about some of the technological advancements that have happened from those regular seed firmers? Yeah. So a lot of that does track along the same path where, um, when we started, we were we were focused just about helping that seed with emergence and ensuring it gets good, solid seed soil contact. And that was adding a firmer onto the back of the row unit, made sure that the seed was placed fully into seed contact. And then that has grown into, well, I made sure all the seeds were starting and emerging correctly. Why, why do I still have an erratic stand? Okay, so then we start looking at the meter. What's the next problem? And a lot of times it's just continuing to advance and look into what are those next problems and then understanding how they occur, finding a good solution that provides value in the operation and then putting that product out. So, you know, as we worked through all those, a great anecdote is one of those stories where one of the first engineers took his laptop and he was doing some testing, looking at meters, and he was using the existing sensors that were on the planter. And for us, sensors and information drive a lot of uh, what you, where you can improve. Because until you can measure something, it's hard to improve on it or advance that against that problem. So he would take his laptop out, plug into the planter, and all of a sudden the operator could see so much more than what the existing technology in the cab offered him. And the engineer would get what he needed and pack his laptop up and go back and do some design work. Well, what the driving piece that came out of that was no, 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 don't, don't go away with that. I can see more. I'm not adding any new sensor. I'm doing more with the data in real time. And I can make better decisions with that in the cab seat while I still have time to impact my yield for this year. And that was one of those light bulb moments for us of while we were designing towards one thing and we still continued with that, but it also opened an opportunity of knowledge is was a big driver being able to make the right decisions. Very That's cool. awesome. Yeah. So thinking about that collecting data, but more importantly, using that data, can you talk about the smart firmer, which is that reflectance-based sensor for people who may not be familiar with that? But what are some challenges that are associated with this technology, particularly with making sure that data is accurate, but how does it adjust with different conditions and soil types? Okay, how far in the weeds do you want to get with the? Uh, <laughs> so the smart firmer is a great example where we have gone from a um, a product that solved an immediate solution or an immediate problem. It was a quick solution to a problem of seed to soil contact and uniform emergence. As we progressed along, we got to the point where we we wanted that, or we had the desire towards, you know, I just want a window into the furrow to what my seeds are seeing. If I knew that, I could make a better decision. And this is from us as operators and, and time in the seat wanting to do better with this season's crop. So we said, well, okay, let's, let's find out what instruments and things we can put on that to give us that window in there. And the smart firmer is the, is the tool that we came out with. What it's doing is it is a reflectance-based um, sensor. So we have some lights in there and they're shining against the soil. The major hurdle 
is when you get that reflectance back, you have to correlate it to some known. Okay, what, what does this data mean? Right? The way you, you figure that out from all the distant, different data is a bunch of backbreaking work in validating it and testing it in a known condition against every possible iteration. So we went from this great idea of, I want a window into the soil. I want a visibility into the furrow to a warehouse portion of the warehouse that's full of five gallon buckets of soil from all around the world, as many places as we could. And then not, not just getting the samples, but then testing them and going, what is it at, at 0% moisture? Five, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40. What does it look like? What are the reflectance values? And Smart Firmer is really beautiful in the way that it doesn't just tell me how much moisture is in the soil, because that would be uh, potentially a misinformation. And I'll go into why in just a bit, but it actually is reporting to the user how much moisture a seed can pull out of that soil over the next three days, because that's the incubation period. That's when the seed is going to start yeah. sucking that moisture. And we need that to all happen uniformly and enough to initiate the germination process. So we didn't just look at the soil and say, okay, at this amount of reflectance for this type of soil, we're going to get, or this is how much moisture is in the soil. We actually then took it and said, with this soil, at this amount of moisture, if nothing changes, will the seed have enough to begin germination in three days? And the example, and the reason back for that is I can have a sandy soil and it can have 30% moisture in it. I think of it like sure. a glass tank, right? I, you know, my sand won't hold as much as a clay. I have a smaller gas tank, yep. but on a clay, a clay won't give me every bit of water that's in it like a sand will. Sand will give you every ounce of gas that's in the <laughs> tank. A clay holds on to half of it. <laughs> so the same 30% moisture on both of them is a different amount on how much my seed can get. So when we put a number on our monitor in, this, in the cab, we're constantly driving towards the number that affects seed germination. So we want to stay over a 30%. We want enough moisture to be in this soil type that over the next three days, that seed will have enough, be able to pull enough moisture out of the soil to gain 30% of its weight by volume. Sure. And so, so is that moisture aspect then kind of the primary value driver for smart firmers right now, at least on the real time side, and then the organic matter is a little bit more of kind of a, a post-processing side, or, or I guess, how does that work? Cause it does both, right? Yeah. So there are six layers of data that come out of smart. Firm. <laughs> okay. and, um, when we, when we launched and announced smart firmer, we were super excited about, Hey, and we can do organic matter. We initially went into it with the moisture uh, focus and then, Halfway through that, we're like, well, we can, we can easily correlate this to organic matter. We're getting that number in our data. We can just start to present that as well. And it was kind of that, wow, we're excited. We can also include that. But that took a lot of the notoriety. But there, of, those six, um, of those six data layers that we're getting, three are extremely valuable to the operator in the, in the cab, year in, year out, acre by acre. Three of them are great for informing and influencing long-term decisions. So the six that we have are furrow moisture. So that's my, how much moisture is in there. My furrow uniformity and my clean residue or my furrow residue, what, what amount of trash is in my furrow. The last ones are temperature, organic matter, and CEC. So 
those first three are the ones that drive best practices and can save yeah. this crop from having a, uh, a skip or a large gap as I wait for seeds to get enough moisture to germinate. So those are the three that, that really help an operator do a better job this year. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that value proposition when you say it can help make management decisions? So if let's say a farmer says, or they get that message that says, oh, it's not enough moisture to last those three days. What can they do about that? How is it actually changing their management? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and this is a great question that we will commonly have with growers and they'll, they'll ask us at farm shows and things. So what's the value prop on that? And, and, or how do I make a change or how do I utilize that information? And mm -hmm. we'll commonly ask, or at least I'll ask the question back. So what depth do you plant your seed at? And varying number of answers will come back and it'll depend on crop and it'll depend on where they're at in the world. When it comes down to it, what does the seed need to begin germination? Temperature, water, a little bit of air, right? So we can really affect mostly moisture. So if we have a measurement of what's in the soil where the seed is, the one of those three that we can target, we go after. So if it's, uh, if it's dry and we don't have moisture present, well, stop, get out, go back around the planter, set your planter to target a little deeper until you do find moisture. Or even better yet, maybe you can't find moisture and it's a this seed and this field is better saving my yield with that seed in the back. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. No matter, no matter how bad it is. And some, sometimes this isn't an equation. If I have a fully irrigated field and I'm going to water the crop in great, but that mm -hmm. can also be a big value indicator of, Hey, there was enough soil or there was enough moisture in that soil. I don't have to water it in. I can save myself one cycle around on that. And that can be a huge impact on how much water you use in a year and just an additional pass cost. So those are some easy, simple ways that inform that operation and gives that, that operator, the guy in the seat, the right information at the right time. So then some of those we can continue to automate. And the same way that our smart, our seed firmer, our standard poly Keaton seed firmer that has grown into a smart firmer, we added a sensor and gave it some more, some more value to us and, and some more input. Now we can take smart firmer and now that we can measure that moisture on the fly, well, the first thing you would react to on um, chasing moisture would be depth. So now we have a smart depth system that solves a couple mechanical problems and gives us the ability to respond in real time to that moisture value. So all this data is really valuable if it is accurate, right? And you guys talked about your validation process. You guys are lots of soil types, lots of different moistures. But is there a way for a producer to potentially calibrate this information on their own field? So potentially taking moisture samples, organic matter samples, or anything like that to potentially better inform these data layers? Yeah, uh, we're kind of riding the smart firmer horse on this one. So <laughs> as that uh, example, but smart firmer is a great example for this reason. Its primary goal in the field is not to create the absolute value of organic matter or any of these values. Our full target is to create the spatial variability, right? So I can, I can then understand how this portion of my field behaves differently than another portion of my field. And I can always correct that legend later. So if I see a variability from one to three on a field, and that really needs to be from two to four, I can go correct that after the fact. 
what I'm most focused on is that I'm able to control real time to the variations in the field as it goes from one to three back and forth across the field. So sure. yeah, all those data points. So specifically on smart firmer, you can take your smart firmer data and, and send it up. And we have a server that has a program built on it and you put in all of your soil samples. And if they have GPS data points, it will correct that map and legend to a correct value to that absolute value that a soil sampling test like site would, would give you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's extremely valuable. I mean, just thinking about dealing in relatives instead of dealing in absolutes, right? Like that's, that's really what we're trying to get to here is like, if you can, if you know, I guess, and this is how I would interpret it. If you know that you're planting at the right depth for a certain moisture, right. And you know that all of a sudden you, your soil has gotten drier. Well, you're probably gonna have to, you know, increase your depth in order to get there. It doesn't necessarily matter exactly what that moisture is, but if you know that relatively speaking, this part of the field is drier than another part of the field at a certain depth, you still have enough to kind of make that decision. Is that, am I interpreting that the right way, Paul? Yeah. So going into smart depth, smart depth for us has a few different ways we can control it. Hey, we can just put in a value and say, I want this thing to be planting at two inches. It always plants at two inches, straightforward, very simple. We can also put it on a moisture basis, which says, here's my preferred depth. If I fall below this certain amount of moisture, go deeper. If I get too wet, come shallower. Right. And you can, yeah. you can yeah. figure it. So, you know, it, it stays within a window or a range that's right for your acres, for your locale. And then we can control within that to make sure that we're giving the seed the best opportunity. Cause you don't want to go too deep if you don't have to, cause then you're just making it harder for that seed to get through up to the surface yeah. and actually see the sunlight. So we want to keep that as short as possible to re reduce that resistance. The last way we can control it is off of a prescription. So if I know I have an extremely distinct soil type difference in my, in my field, and I'm, and I normally would, would love to plant the left or the South half of my acres on two inches and the North half at two and a half. I can do that. I draw a prescription and then my default depth goes to that and I can still control the moisture. I'm just affecting my default depth and, and allowing the system to do what's correct. And now that's changeable or modifiable on the fly, uh, which is really interesting. The engineers were actually able to yeah. make it so that that prescription and the controls could be read by the system and controlled to, we can edit, make live edits, make the update and it's, and it's a, it's a faultless process so that it's a read and update at the same time. It's pretty impressive. Uh, so thinking about how planting conditions are not always optimal um, as we would like them to be, can you talk a little bit about maybe some calibration challenges or with any of these technologies, how are you making planting more stable across multiple soil types, maybe different moisture conditions, what kind of technologies are making that where you're consistently planting how you want to plant at different conditions? We want to be able to know when situations change, when the environment demands something different out of the implement and be able to respond to that. So commonly, if it's, a, if it's an automated control system, if the soil has just gotten a little tighter, well, maybe the system can just audit, you know, it has a target value and it will push down until it hits that target. So it kind of overcomes some of that need to calibrate. Probably the biggest part that's still an unknown and, and that won't go away is the, the, the ground truth. 
right? The, the value of ground truthing or data validation is always going to be there. And we can automate a control to any target that the operator wants us to, right? Within, within our control range, we can do all the automation. We don't know that the control target is 100% perfect. That's left to the grower. We, know, we need the grower to say, this is where I should be doing for this field. So some of that is still, you know, get down on your hands and knees, maybe say a prayer, and then <laughs> so and, and evaluate what the what the equipment is doing to the ground and making sure that it's 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 accurate for what you're doing. Sure. So when you think about a product kind of like uh, like active downforce, the Delta Force systems that, that y'all have, I guess that's kind of one of those examples that comes to my mind when I think about you know the farmer still needs to kind of set the right right down pressure but i'm also thinking that there's got to be some there has to be some truth out there right of like this is too much down pressure given these moisture conditions and or you know soil type right and then this will lead to compaction so you know i guess how are y'all going about you know implementing this delta force and, and how is it bringing value uh, and potentially helping farmers to make better decisions as far as how much down force they're applying out there in the field mm -hmm. That's a multi-headed beast. Yeah, I, I, I ask way too many questions. Right there. I have a tendency to do that's, that. That's a, good, that's a good topic to unpack because there's a lot to that one. So downforce, um, I've never given a direct answer of what's the correct answer. You know, what's the correct downforce amount? Because even in the field that's right next door that we've seen and I've been on a dozen years in a row, I don't know its conditions, its moisture, how, how the winter affected the soil structure. It's going to handle different this year than probably it has in any one of the previous 10. Yep. Maybe some similarities, but it's going to be unique. And I need to be able to confirm that I'm setting the right target. The system will go and I've got some presets. I can, I can affect how I do towards that and simplify my life in setting that target. But I do need to be able to make the correct decision or make the correct target point that the system controls to. And that would be, that, that's going to be present, you know, pretty straightforward across all of the products or, or any of the actions we do across the field. We do need to have that ground truth to know that we're doing the right thing with the equipment. Um, with downforce, we don't technically target what the right amount of push down is. We know we need to push the row unit down. We'll continue to do that until we get the correct amount measured on our depth stop. So we just keep pushing down on the row unit until we've hit our target of force against the gauge wheels. And the example, you go in your garden, you've, you guys do any gardening at home? Just <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So in your garden, your garden is probably like, like the, my, my, my wife helps me make ours. <laughs> perfect super fluffy nice <laughs> no no problems weeds or anything and so when i go to plant that it's make a little hole put the seed yep. in cover it up and then what do you do you tap it, tap it down yep. Mm -hmm. yep. so there's a certain amount of that where you're resetting the the soil structure and the density of the soil above the seed you want it firm enough that it holds air and water correctly but you don't want it so firm that the seed can't get that charge yep. yeah absolutely yep so the gauge wheels on a row unit, on a planter row unit, are, for a good portion of that, your firming action. They have an impact on what your soil structure is around that. Your closing system is, is like the wax job after a good uh, car wash. Yeah. 
If you don't, if you don't wash and chamois and wax it, the wax and the chamois can make the make a wash look really bad. Yeah. That finishing touch. So, all of that that resetting, we w- we want to make sure that our our push down is as it should be. But that takes the operator to choose that. So we'll push down as hard as you need, um, anything up to six hundred and fifty pounds to push down, or we will remove weight for the rail unit as much as 450 pounds and we can make those changes extremely rapidly probably more rapidly than should be needed in the soil but the focus is just having the ability to hit that target very accurately each row behaving independently and hitting its own target because as this row is going through a tire track and the row next to it is not they're going to have different demands on what's needed to push that row unit down to get the right measurement on my gauge wheels that says, Hey, yes, I've met my depth and I'm doing the right thing to the firm, the soil around the seat. If you think about some of these other measurements that are going on out there as well, um, you know, we're thinking about how much, you know, down pressure is being applied. Um, We've already talked about the moisture, you know, kind of ad nauseum, but you know, I'm sure there are other, you know, measurements out there, temperature, whatnot. If any decisions are being made on these from the cab, how important is it to be able to filter that noise and, and, you know, how much of a challenge is that for real-time control, having this really noisy system out there in the field? So as soon as we were approaching and and starting the product design process for a high-speed solution, we knew that every one of our products would then get applied in a high-speed environment and needed to be able to maintain performance and accuracy across there. So you know, like we we designed furrow force our closing system high speed was a prerequisite before that could be a viable solution to solving closing as a problem hmm. uh, so all of that that you know as soon as we decided yes planters can and should be able to cover more acres or or cover acres in a more timely fashion yeah all of the all of the pre-work had to be done on on the other components yeah Carrying the data, I'm sure, but I'm sure as the noise, I mean, the noise has to be something that's pretty significant to deal with. I'm sure, you know, on the monitor side and kind of the engineering side, they've obviously done a whole lot of work with being able to filter any, any bad data or, you know, any of that noise from vibrations or other things out. Yeah. And, and again, it comes back to the, the, the engineers that get the boots dirty in spring riding with it and understand that I don't need to just bring forward the data. I need to bring forward the piece of information that drives the right behavior in the cab by the operator at that yeah. at the right time. So again, you know, smart farmer is a great example. I don't want to just bring them how much moisture is in the soil. I want to tell them for this soil, how much moisture can my seed get out of it? Right. That it's actionable. It? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the one product that we haven't really touched on a lot yet is the furrow force. Can you maybe talk about that a little bit? And how is it adjusting in real time to make sure that that seed to soil contact is there? Okay. What we're doing on the closing side is more of tackling the two biggest problems of what the row unit did to get the seed there to begin with. First, it had to carve the soil open. Mm -hmm. So I need to first remove that And then because I carved it open, I messed with the soil structure. I need to reset that. So our closing system, the furrow force closing system is targeting those two actions. First, I need to destroy or or undo what my row unit did to create a furrow. And then I need to reset the soil density above the seeds. So 
a it's not an air packet or it's not a dry space yeah. <laughs> can hold moisture yeah. uh, and then two I, I don't make it so firm or tight that the seed can't sprout through there so uh, that's what furrow force is doing what we do is we have three different versions of our control aspects on there so one is a manual only you you would just manually fill a pneumatic bag to uh, your desired amount of force pushing down and 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 run with it the second way would be you would have some sensors on there that would tell you am i holding my my closing system down hard enough now, again this is a control or a target set point that you're going to be choosing which of the the right set point is yep. but we continue to push down on the the closing system as a whole until we meet a measured weight on that that, that stitching wheel on the back so uh, that's that's how much I'm firming the soil back together with. Um, we'll continue to push down until we measure that we've we've attained that amount of force. Um, you set that target rate and we chase it. With that middle layer there, we put the sensors on there. We give you what you're measuring, but you have to manually adjust it to yeah. to hit that target. The last one is we put an automated control piece on each row uh, on each row, and you tell it a target and it maintains it. So as you go into softer soils, it lets air out, makes it walk across the soil a little lighter. In harder soils, we continue to push down until we measure that right amount. I can also do that to solve agronomic problems as well. Maybe I'm in a, an overly tilled environment. Uh, it got wet. I had to till it to get moisture out. Now I've got a little bit of clods, so I hit it again. And now I've got overly fluffy soils. So I can actually add extra pressure on my closing system to maybe firm that soil back up and retain a little bit more moisture than would normally be available. So I can use it as a tool to help me out of bad situations as well. That That's really, that's really cool. And I, I think just thinking about the value proposition for all this, you know, we think about how much farmers would have to get out or the operator of the, you know, of the planting system would have to get out and go and reset all these things without kind of the automated control, right? It's, it's really going to slow down your planting operation, which we all know has to be timely. <laughs> and so, I mean, is that, is that the biggest value proposition for some of these tools is that, you know, really you don't ever have to stop. You can make those adjustments on the fly. Is that, that what a lot of people are seeing out there as a value? So there's got to be an agronomic value to it. Standalone. We have to, we have to be solving a problem. And that goes back to our entire mission of, we like to make sure that what we're doing is solving a, um, a problem, right? Farmers are an amazingly industrious lot. And if there's a problem yeah. that, that they know about, they can solve it and they can do a better job. They want, they have that innate desire. We have that innate desire to do better. And so that's why a lot of our mission is on focusing on encouraging that education and, and helping people understand where problems come from so they can solve it the timing and the operation and the, and the, what the impacts are there. Our first solution has to be, we actually solve a, 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 an agronomic problem. The speed or ease that we can do to maintain the optimal performance, that's an added benefit. So I don't have to choose between beating the rain, managing the other activities and operations that are going on on my farm. Because most often the operator in the cab is not the 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 second or third person on the on the operation they're usually the primary person on the operation who has to mm -hmm. direct the entire choir of activities and make sure that no horns get out of out of tune and and a lot of times what will happen is 
there's not a loss of desire to hit that perfect or to hit the optimal performance. It's a priority choice of I can either continue to strive for performance or I can keep that problem that's another aspect of my operation from hitting a dead end or stopping completely. And in the larger sense, those priority decisions sometimes have to be made. But um, if we can give them the tools that allows them to make those changes or create a set point that they're confident in and let the system maintain that performance while they can then do their operation management, that's a, that's a great side benefit, but the product itself needs to stand on its own its value. So yeah, thinking about this value, uh, I'm going to ask kind of a two-part question. Can you maybe first tell us what is current adoption with some of these technologies? Is these things with planting a huge priority to producers right now? And then the second part is what are producers most excited about? Where do you guys think this adoption is going? I don't have hard numbers <laughs> on what current adoption is. So I... As an anecdotal answer, <laughs> when I started 10 years ago, 13 years ago, whatever, um, a lot of the conversations I would have, say Downforce is a, is a great example, were explaining how a miss setup or, or a miscalibrated system would give you an agronomic cost. It was very heavy on the education of where a problem existed and how to solve that, you know, that, that, that was truly a, a cost to their business. Then once we, when we understood where that fault could come, it became more of a, how do I select the right tool? How do I operate the tool the best? What's the right tools for my operation and how do I use them? Simple part. My conversations in the last 10 years have shifted as I talk to growers across the nation and across the world those conversations have shifted from what is it to which ones are the right tools and how do I employ them best? So as a whole, our, our industry has gotten more aware of problems, are still looking for the right ways to identify them timely. And mm -hmm. you know, as soon as they know they have them, they, they know the solutions are out there. They just need a little help in choosing, making sure they get the right one and it's employed correctly. And then come back to your second half of your question. Mm -hmm. What's the most exciting one? Mm -hmm. Again, I'm on a, I'm, a, I'm sorry. I have to knuckle out on this one as well, because if you, the most exciting thing to any one farmer is going to be the problem that's costing them the most. Mm -hmm. Solving that problem means the most to them. For some, that may be a low sidewall tire on the tractor or the combine. Right. If, and if you can solve that problem, that's the greatest thing. What we want to do is work with our regional sales managers who are working with our dealers and our resellers who have that one on one relationship with our customers because they then are that trusted advisor that knows, hey, you know, Bob, Bob, your biggest you know, problem right now is not the planting process. It's it's the people in your operation <laughs> all going a bunch of different directions. Is there a tool I can help you with? Sometimes that's the answer. It's education. It's it's communication. Uh, so we want to try and make sure that we're focusing first on solving that farmer's problem. Most often that comes with visibility of the problem. Shine a flashlight on what's occurring so we know what to solve. We get to focus very 
narrowly on the agronomic and the, and the control and the operation portion of different implements and, op and activities across the field. Um, that's where our bread and butter is, but that's, that's coming from that heart of, we wanna identify what's costing those, those farmers you know, yield grain and solve that for them because that's what they want. Uh, so where can people go to learn more about what precision planting is offering? Uh, maybe talk about where they can go to learn more information, but also maybe your podcast. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Thank you for <laughs> the cue up on that. Well, first and foremost, um, and probably the best recommendation is there's a local regional, regionally placed next, next to our listeners. There's a precision planting dealer. There's got to be one close to you. Uh, we're, we're pretty widespread. That's going to give the best experience, right? They're going to know your neck of the woods. They're going to know your challenges unique from someone else. We are never pushing anyone away, but we do understand that the best is our team of dealers that are out there uh, because I, every one of them, I believe, does have the customer's best interest at heart. And they're here because they have the same mission as us. And that's that's our grower success. So we want to make sure that they're learning and growing with us. And that's where I'd start. Outside of that, we do have a lot of outreach things. So we'll partner with our dealers and do field demonstrations and local um, farm shows of that nature, sales experiences. We have a Precision Technology Institute in Pontiac, Illinois. And that's um, very close to us where we have a little playground. We have equipment running. You can come in, climb up in the cab, operate it yourself. Kind of like a test drive on, it's not, it's not your, uh, you know, Ford F-150 um, <laughs> test drive. It's it's the half a million dollars of equipment going across right, right. at 13 miles an hour. But yeah, it's fun. <laughs> those, are, those are some ways. Uh, we do have our winter conference, which is a our, our annual event where we get to exp, uh, put the engineers on the stage and let them share what they've learned over the last year <laughs> and make them a little uncomfortable maybe. <laughs> you always you always have um you have us on the podcast which is smarter every season and that's available stitcher apple podcasts anywhere you normally see very cool awesome <laughs> so to to kind of wrap up what's been a really cool conversation i've learned a lot from mm -hmm. what's one piece of advice that you would offer to our listeners who are wanting to maybe solve that problem that they have in their operation and have been wanting to solve for a while or just be more precise in their planting overall What's one thing? The the one you can thing. you can make it you can make it three or four however long you want. But if you can uh, distill it to one, I'll be impressed. Information. So whether that's adding a monitor, adding a sensor, or probably best yet, starting a relationship with a trusted advisor who can help you along that process. Um, getting and learning more because the more we learn. And the more we can help each other grow on or learn or overcome problems, the better. And, and that, may, that may not have an individual agronomic value. Um, that's definitely gonna have a, an, a solid intrinsic value to their operation. So I'd say first and foremost, it's, you know, it's the GI Joe, knowing is half the battle. <laughs> there you go. Mm -hmm. yep. Awesome. I think I can end on a GI Joe reference now. Absolutely. <laughs> Never thought you'd do that one before. I'm sure. 
Thank you to Paul Harms from Precision Planting for joining us today on the Farm Bits podcast. Uh, I personally thought that was a really, really fun interview. I, I liked how he kind of mixed up the engineering side and a lot of the really technical aspects of what they do uh, with some of the bigger picture aspects of what Precision Planting's mission is and how they're going about achieving that. I think my favorite part of the episode was when Paul talked about kind of the three different levels of control that they give folks in terms of their uh, furrow force, right? Where you can actually have something that you go out and adjust manually to create the right uh, setting. You can actually do the setting um, within the cab manually. You're getting sensor feedback, but you still have to set it manually. Or you can have it just be fully automated where the, the monitor actually will set uh, the correct set point uh, in accordance with the sensors and just make sure that the system is maintaining uh, what it should be. And, and all that is kind of embodied in this whole sense that they have of trying to make sure that everything is rooted in agronomic value. But <laughs> at the end of the day, they're also enabling additional value propositions, right? And how, however far that farmer wants to go, if they don't want to have to get out of the tractor to go fix whatever's going on back there, there's a next step, right? And so multi-layers of value. Yeah, it's not just collecting all the data, they are using it. And, and if the farmer's not ready for that step, they can be very customizable. And so, yeah, that exactly like what you said leads into what I thought my, I mean, what my favorite part was, which was that it is so customizable. We asked about where adoption was going and there he was like, well, it really depends on what an individual farmer needs. It's so different based on what region you're in, what your soil types are, what your challenges are on your farm. And so it's not about making a product that fits across the entire United States. It's fitting a product for a farmer. And I just think that is such a cool mentality. So with that, thank you so much for joining us today on the Farm Bits podcast. Hope you enjoyed learning more about precision planting. And we look forward to having you again next week. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Bits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can be found in the show notes. We'd like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect reviews of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm Bits.